Well, praise the Lord. It's good to be with y'all this evening. Um, we really like Rob. We like Lisa more than we like Rob. Did I just say that? Anyway, um, you know, God's so good to us. And uh, we had the joy of, of meeting Rob and Lisa when we were in Africa. And actually, I met Rob's son first. I don't know what he did. I don't know if he broke something or if he was sick or if he just wanted to be out of school. But all I got to say is, you know, I was with this man and Tim said to me, David, we're going to go and see Rob and Lisa's boy. He's been in the hospital or something. Anyway, he was laying in the bed at the missionary guest house. And, you know, he said he's just a teenager. He's still in boarding school. And we went in there, and I saw him expecting a kid, and it's a full-grown man with a beard and everything laying up in the bed. And I thought, there's nothing wrong with this boy. He's just lazy. (laughs) Anyway, so I, I still call Rob sometimes by his son's name because the first time I, you know, really got to know them, any of them well, it was Tim. Laying in the bed. So anyway, that's the way it goes. We served in Uganda for 18 years, and it was a wonderful experience for us. Um, I wish every single person in this room could have the privilege of being in a place where God is moving in power. I wish each one of you could have the experience one time in your life to be somewhere where God, who is the Lord of the harvest, says, this is my season for harvest Now you watch and see what I'm going to do. And my wife and I were honored and humbled to have the opportunity to be in Uganda when God said, this is my time for my harvest, for my glory. And I will tell you the honest truth. I used to get up some mornings and pray, dear Lord, please don't let me mess this up today because what God was doing was just that good. Now, we lived in Africa for 18 years, and we lived in a little town, and um, we lived like one degree away from the equator, but it was about 4,000 feet above sea level, so it was survivable. And of course, we didn't have air conditioning or heat, we just had ceiling fans, and sometimes we really needed them. But what we did have was pots planted on the side of the driveway to keep the sun And the heat from the driveway to coming in the house. And we had these clay pots lined up. And we planted all the tropical plants that you have to grow inside here. And they were big and they were beautiful. And everybody that came up to the house said, oh, we love your plants. Because they were all different colors and all this stuff. But nobody said, we love your pots. And the reason why was because the pots were really not attractive. You know, during the dry season, the earth salts would leach out of the water into the pots. And so they'd have these rings of white gunk around them. And then in the rainy season, they'd get all slimy and moldy and gooey because when the humidity is 90% for four or five months in a row, things kind of tend to grow spontaneously. So nobody ever complimented my pots. And if you bumped up against the pots, chances are you'd get messy. But the reality was, it wasn't about the pots. It was about what was inside those pots. 
And with that, I invite you to look with me this evening to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul tells us something that we might think is a little bit insulting at first. He tells us we're like a bunch of clay pots. But actually, I think this evening we're going to discover that being a clay pot, a clay pot in God's house is really kind of a blessing. So let's read the scripture together from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to read from verse 6 to uh, verse 12. For God said, let light shine out of the darkness. He has shown in our hearts to give us light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, that is, clay pot. So that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that... The life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that um, it's all about you and that it's not about us. We thank you that you have given us your divine glory through Christ Jesus. And we just ask you to help us learn this evening the importance of a day-by-day walk with you that makes our lives a show and tell of Jesus. And we ask you for that blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at our scripture this evening, the first thing that I think Paul is trying to encourage us with here is Paul's trying to remind us that it's God's light that's shining down onto us. Now that may sound kind of simple, and I'm sure we've all sung Jesus is the light of the world. But it is God's light, and it's not our light. It's God's light in the fullness of His glory. It's God's light shining into us and around us. And if your life is like my life is sometimes, it's God's life, it's God's light shining in spite of us. But it is God's light shining. God spoke light in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 4, God said the light that He spoke was good. God spoke light into you. And God says right now that the light that He's speaking into you is good. Do you know in Exodus chapter 10, 23, maybe you remember the story. One of the plagues was the plague of darkness. The entire land of the Pharaoh was dark for three days. Where was the light? Exodus 10, 23 says that for three days there was light in the land of the people of God. The Egyptians were in darkness, but God's people were in light. Now think about Our dear United States right now. Do you ever kind of get the feeling sometimes that you're living in a land of darkness? Is your God the same God as the God of Israel when they were in Egypt? And is your God capable of shining His light into you 
even though you may be surrounded by darkness. John reminds us over and over again that God is light through Jesus Christ. Psalm 27 beat the Apostle John to the punch because Psalm 27 verse 1 starts off by saying, the Lord is what? The Lord is my light and my salvation. I love that pairing of those two together. Because you know when the light of God, when the glory of God comes to dwell inside of us, it's because of salvation. And the psalmist wrote truly, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. And then John, in John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, John describes Jesus as being the light. And then he says that light is the life of all men in in verse 5. Then Jesus said in John chapter 9, verse 5, he said, I am the light of the world. And in Revelation chapter 21, verse 23, we're reminded that for eternity we will dwell in an eternal place that has no need of light because God himself, the glory of God revealed through Jesus Christ, he will be our light. For eternity. It is not a small thing. That God says to us. That we are filled. With his light. It is a great truth. From eternity. That we will fully experience. On the time that we come to him. Now. I'd like to talk to you about. How that light actually enters. Into people's lives. As Pastor Rob said, my wife and I were in India for several years. And if you want to go to a dark place where there's not a lot of spiritual light, um, India is just as dark as Washington, D.C. It really is. And when I read what the politicians in America say, it sounds really similar to what the politicians in India say. And I go, ooh, this is terrible. So we um, were working with a man who was starting a church. And one of the things he was doing while he was starting the church is he was deliberately targeting students at a nursing college. Now there they have government health care and they have government free universities. Sounds great, doesn't it? But then after you graduate, the government tells you where you're going to work and how much you're going to get paid. These students were studying in Marathi and English. But if they could converse in English well enough to explain to the doctor the medical needs of the patients as the doctor did the medical rounds, they would be posted to an English-speaking hospital when they graduated and not a Marathi-speaking slum clinic or a Marathi-speaking way out in the middle of the state with no good roads and no good electricity and no good drinking water and no medical supplies, free health care, government clinic. So they were very motivated to learn English. So my friend came to Linda and I and said, uh, would you guys be interested in doing an English conversation class? And of course, you know, I'm just full of incompetence and excitement. So I excitedly said yes. And then I went to Linda and said, well, how are we going to do this? Now, Linda's the queen of grammar. This is what happens when you homeschool children through high school. You know, you have to learn grammar. So she knows grammar really well. So she would um, take one aspect of grammar. She would review it with the students. They'd studied English academically, 
but they'd not done a lot of talking. She'd explain the grammar to them again and review. Then we would have practice drills with that particular grammar feature. She would take the advanced students, and I would take the students that worked on my level. (laughs) Remedial. So I was very comfortable with them, and um, we had a good time. I'm not sure we actually spoke English any better, but we had a great time sharing our mistakes. So after we did this for a while, then we would have part two of the evening. Part two of the evening was an English lecture by an English reader, a native English speaker, and a discussion in English led by a native English speaker. Guess who that was? It was me. And our text for each one of the readings and each one of the lectures and each one of the discussions was the Christian holy book. So I would tell the guys who were Buddhist and who were Hindus and the young ladies, I'd say, you know, we're going to do this lecture and discussion in English. And it will be good for you to hear the concepts and discuss the concepts in English. It's taken from the Christian's holy book, which is the Bible. So you're very welcome to come. We'd love for you to come and participate. But if your religious beliefs would keep you from coming, that's okay. We don't mind. Just come back next week for the grammar lesson and for the grammar discussion. And so some of the young men, especially the young ladies would tell things to Linda, the young men would come to me and they'd say, you know, David, I'm a very devout Buddhist, but I'm going to come. And one man, um, Mr. A, I'll call him, he came and he said, I'm a very devout Hindu. He said, my family were all Hindus all the way back were all Hindus. We're very devout, but I'm going to come so that I can have a chance to discuss English. I thought, okay, that's great. So he came and he listened and he observed. And then after a couple of weeks, he began to participate in the discussion. And as we went on week by week, I noticed that his face began to change. First, his face was very serious. And then, as we would read God's word together, his face would begin to change. And it would change some more. And it would change some more. And soon he was discussing, and he was talking about the character of God and the truth of the activity of God as we had read the Bible stories. And then he came to me one day after the class, and he said... um, Please pray for me. I thought, okay. And I said, okay. He said, um, I, I now follow Jesus. I was like, okay. I said, so do you like follow Jesus along with everybody else? Or do you only follow Jesus? He says, oh, I only follow Jesus. Like, Why in the world would I follow all those other people when I can follow Jesus? I said, okay, that's great. I said, what do you want me to pray about? Of course, we've been praying for him that he would follow Jesus, but I wasn't going to say that. Uh, He said, pray for me because of my wife and my children and my mother because they live in extended family groups. He said, none of them are ready to follow Jesus. He said, this will be difficult for them. 
thought it was funny. He didn't say it's going to be difficult for him. Obviously, he knew what was going on. He said, it's going to be hard on them. And so we did. So we had seen light come to him. And then he finished his schooling and he went back home. And just before we left India, he came for our our farewell morning at that particular little uh, Bible study that he'd grown into a church. And um, I said, you know, how are you doing? He said, I'm doing really well. And I said, well, how's your family? And just a big smile on his face. He said, my wife is following Jesus. I said, great. He said, my kids are following Jesus. I said, wonderful. He said, my mother is following Jesus. Now, you understand that in many of the Hindu um, peoples, I almost said caste, cause I'm, but I'm so used to not saying caste because in India you can't say that word anymore. But in many of the castes, the wife is the one who organizes the daily prayers to the gods. And so his mother was responsible for organizing the daily prayers to the gods for all of her children and all of their wives and all of the children's children. And for him to say, my wife, my mother, is now a follower of Jesus Christ, that meant that there had been a big change in his home and a big change in his family. So we saw the light come to him through Jesus Christ, through his word. And as we pray for folks, one of the things we can pray is that the light of God will come to them through his word. And so we see that 1 John 1, 5 and 1 John 1, 7 remind us again, God is light. And, and in him there's no darkness at all. And if, if we walk in the light as he is the light, then we have fellowship with him. And the, and the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God's light is for our salvation right now, tonight. God's light is for our salvation. And God's light is to shine into every dark place of our hearts and every dark place of our lives. And even after our salvation, God's light is still shining into us to change us and to transform us into people who are living obediently to the King. So the first thing we want to see from these verses this evening is that God's light is shining to us. And it's shining in us. And God wants that light to shine out of us as we walk in his light. The second thing that we're going to see that the Apostle Paul reminds us of is that God's power is coming to us. Let's look at the verse Again, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians and we're going to begin uh, in chapter 4, verse 7, reading very quickly. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Okay, now look at this. We are not the treasure. All right. So forgive me. All of the modern educators that are telling all of the children that they're just so special that every child gets a prize. Okay? Uh, their kids must be really different than my kids. And really different than I was when I was a kid. Because my mom would tell you, my dad would tell you that I wasn't special. That's kind of irritating. Okay? 
But uh, that's just the way it goes. So we're not the treasure. It's God who's the treasure. It's God's salvation that's the treasure. And it's his power, that treasure, that moves into us in salvation. And it's his power, his glory, that treasure that flows through us because of our salvation. And this passage always confused me because I'm thinking, why in the world would somebody put a treasure in a clay pot? Did that ever bother you? Okay, maybe I'm just dumb. But it's like, why would they do that? Well, you know, you read enough stuff and you find out the answers. This made sense to the people in Corinth. And do you know why? There's a historical reason. If we go back and read the history books, Herodotus, who was a historian, said that the kings of Persia had a way of collecting and keeping their tax money, and their tribute money. Now, you remember back in the day, all of the little, t- all of the little city-states and all the little kingdoms made their own currency. So Persia, ruling over all of these cities and all of these kingdoms, was getting, was getting their taxes and their tribute paid in all different kinds of coins. And all the coins weighed differently. Some of them were made out of gold. Some of them were made out of silver. Some of them may have even been made out of copper. We don't know. But all the coins were made out of different things. They had different weights. And so the royal treasurer, you know, he had a couple of jobs. Number one, he had to be sure there was no pilferage. You can imagine all those little coins being counted by all those people and stored. Seems to me like some of them would kind of develop feet and kind of walk away. Little coin in a little pocket. Sounds like it could disappear. So what they did was they put their treasure in clay pots. They take all the gold and melt it down, and then they pour it into clay pots, all the pots the same size. Take all the silver, melt it down, pour it into all into clay pots, all the pots the same size. Then you know what? It got to be real easy for them to count the treasure. One gold pot, two gold pots, three gold pots. Four gold pots. And guess what? The gold pot was just a little bit too big to fit in somebody's pocket. So it was not going anywhere. So now it makes sense to me. All of a sudden, God's got this huge treasure. This marvelous treasure that's been his since before eternity began. And he says, you know what? I'm putting my treasure in you. You may be like a clay pot, but you are exactly the place that I want to keep my treasure So as the treasure was counted and as it was melted and it was poured into the clay pots, the value of the treasure was known. And as God's glory is poured into our lives, the value of his treasure and the value of his glory shows in us and shows through us because it is his power. God is the powerful treasure. We are not. God is the light. We are not. We are the clay jar. I asked my wife for permission to tell one of our favorite stories about the way God works. My wife and the pastor's wife were praying for a lady. Her name is Mrs. M and her husband, Mr. S. Mrs. M was heartbroken because Mr. S was not a believer. This is why we lived in Africa. And so one day, uh, my wife and the pastor's wife went over to see Mrs. 
him to encourage her. And while they were there, Mr. S came in and um, he sat and drank tea with them. My wife came home and she said, David, I'm just so frustrated and I'm so discouraged. And I said, you know, tell me about it, babe. So here's this man that they've been praying for. And he comes in. And my wife said that as, as she tried to start sharing the gospel with him, she felt like all they did was argue. And she was so discouraged about it. She came home and shared it with me, but she and the pastor's wife and Mrs. M continued to pray for Mr. S. A couple of years went by, and um, they moved, and we moved, and we lost touch with each other. And I went to a meeting in a completely different city from anywhere that we were living. And going through the, you know, it's a Baptist meeting, so we all had to go and register. And so standing in line and registering, you've never lived until you registered at a Baptist meeting in Africa under the hot sun in the dry season. It's just an experience you need to have. Trust me on that one, okay? So I finally get up to the table and I tell the guy my name. He says, oh, you're the one. And I'm looking around like I'm the one what? He said, I know you. And I said, okay. I said, thank you. I said, and we shook hands and he told me his name. He said, when I lived in Mbali, he said, your wife came to visit my wife. He said, she shared the gospel with me and I was not ready to listen. He said, but those words did not leave my mind. He said, I found that I had to come to Jesus because of the words that were spoken. So my wife, very aware that she's the clay jar, very aware that she doesn't feel like she's done anything at all except get really frustrated. God let his treasure be seen. For the salvation of Mr. S. Who not only had gotten saved. But he got a really, really good dose of it. And he was an excited follower of Jesus Christ. And he was a leader in his church. And he was a leader in his association of churches. And this is what God does. When God moves through us. To give his treasure of salvation. Through Jesus Christ to others. One of our favorite verses for my wife and I is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Did I get it right? This has been a big joke for us because right before we left India, I was teaching in Philippians. So everything was Philippians, Philippians, Philippians. And then this is our favorite verse. And more than once I've said in Ephesians 2, 10, it should go. No, 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 no. Huh? Anyway, you can tell. Okay. Now y'all know why I need a wife. I mean, that's just one reason, okay? But we'll go down the list later. And it'll give you even more to laugh at. Anyway, the reality that Ephesians, thank you, Ephesians 2.10 says this. We are God's workmanship created in good works by Christ, by Christ Jesus. And the good works are created in advance. That we can sweat? No. That we might walk in them. 
Now, there's a whole lot of difference between working and walking, okay? And it's funny that verse didn't say we have to sweat and strain and struggle in those good works. It says the good works are created in advance for us to walk in them. You see, we're just the clay pots. We're not the treasure. We're not the king. We're not the commander. We're not the administrator. We are the clay pot. And the treasure of God is is inside of us. And it's his treasure. And if we'll just walk on the right path, if we'll just walk in the right direction, we will walk into the good works that he has prepared from before the beginning of the earth. Now, I don't know about your God, but I know about my God. When my God prepares something, it's ready. When my God prepares something, it's good. When my God prepares something, it will stand for eternity. God says to us, you're my clay pots. And I'm really, really good with that. Because he's prepared good works for me to walk in. They're his and they're going to stand for eternity. So we see, we should just kind of maybe take a deep breath and relax a little bit. Because it's about God. And it's about his light. And it's about his power. God's light shines to us and in us and out of us. So we should just walk in the light. God's power moves through us. And we walk into, through, with the good works that he's already prepared. God's life in us is show and tell. That simple and that true. You see, as God is working and living in us and with us and through us and around us, and if your life is like mine, I'm ashamed to say how many times it seems to me like God is doing something in spite of me. God's working in spite of us. Hope is always with us in difficult circumstances. The tough parts of life that we live, when we live them with God's hope, it shows us light. And it shows his power in a way that other people cannot deny. They can excuse it. They can explain it. They can avoid it. But it's real. So Paul tells us, hope is always present. And so we just need to walk through the difficult times because God's got good works. So Paul says, we're afflicted on every way, but we're not crushed. Okay, I've had some days where I felt like, man, I'm getting pressed in on every side. But God's treasure is not going to get crushed. And then Paul says we're perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. Do you know what the number one cause of death among students in India is? It's suicide. Because when they don't do well on the exams, they're driven to despair and to self-destruction. So I get perplexed. But I'm not despairing because I know no matter what happens in my life, God is the treasure. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Now, we know that our adversary is powerful for a moment in this world. But our adversary does not have the eternal power of God. Our adversary does not have the eternal glory of God. 
our adversary does not have the indwelling fullness that we have through Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. You know, events can disturb us, but they cannot destroy us. We were in Uganda for 18 years, and a lot of people told us, you know, uh, the safest place to be is right in the middle of God's will. And that sounds really good when you're talking to a husband and wife who are taking two preschoolers and going to live in a place that is a little bit questionable at times like Uganda was in those early years. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, I know whom I believe it. I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And, and Lynn and I committed ourselves, our lives, our spirits, our minds, our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if anything happened to us physically, he was going to keep us because we were kept spiritually against that day. And, and so why do I suggest to you that might be a better theology? Because... Um, Think about the lives of the, of the um, apostles. Okay? And um, there are even people that have gone back through the church history and written these wonderful books about all the different ways that the apostles were killed and martyred for their faith. Well, certainly they were walking with Jesus and certainly they were following Jesus. And certainly Stephen, when he was dying... From the stones being thrown at him. And that doesn't sound like a comfortable experience at all to me. Stephen said, Lord, you know, Lord, forgive him. And then he said, Lord, receive me. So, so maybe God's place is not the most comfortable. But it is the most secure. Because our spirits and our souls and our hearts are his. For now and for forever. So we are secure in Him. And why is this important? It's important because of what Paul says here. Always carrying in the body the death of the Lord Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. For we who are live are also always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal flesh. Paul is saying directly to the Corinthians, death is working in me, and because death is working in me, life is working in you. What does that mean? He's saying, Corinthians, look, you see what I'm going through. And you see God's heavenly treasure while I'm going through all of this stuff. You see my death. And guess what it's doing? It's taking away the clay pot. And you're seeing the heavenly treasure. So if I've got to suffer in order for the treasure to show, it's okay. That's God's choice. So, But what's important is not the clay pot, it's the treasure. Our lives will be show and tell. When I was in college, I served in a, um, I was a song leader in a church. And we had this Sunday saying, Y'all had Fifth Sunday sang, and we had the singing Carltons. I'm telling you, I still remember the singing Carltons. And we had a bunch of good old boys, and this was back in the day when um, people didn't buy new trucks every other year. And these guys had old farm trucks, and they weren't shiny at all because the weather had worn the paint off of them. 
And the fenders in some places were more of a suggestion than a fender because they'd been beat up and rusted out. And when you went and opened the cabin and you would look inside, you'd see an old vinyl seat. It'd be all split up. And if they were lucky, you know, Maud thrown a blanket over it so they wouldn't have to sit on the springs poking them. And I never saw one that was air-conditioned. And the beds didn't have these new fancy vinyl covers on them. They were beat up from all the farm equipment and all the stuff that they'd carried across the years. But why are those trucks show and tell? Because anytime we had a problem at the church with the plumbing or the, electric, or the electrical or a door or a window glass needed to be fixed, or the big thing was Danny and the bell rope. Uh, we had a bell in the tower and Danny lived down the road and he was an adult-sized person with a joyful heart but didn't always think about everything the same way that you and I do. He loved to ring the bell on Sunday morning. He'd ring it so hard he'd ring the rope right off of the bell. <laughs> then they'd have to, you know, get the ladders out and climb up in the bell. Tree. But the, Danny, don't ring the, the bell. So, yes, sir, I won't ring the bell. Sorry, next week, you know. And so these trucks were like show and tell, though, because when you saw one of those trucks pull up to the church and it was loaded with the tools and the supplies to get the job done, you knew the job was going to get done because you could look at the truck and you could tell that good, honest work had happened around that truck. And our lives are God's show and tell. And we see this in the Gospels. You remember Jesus healed a blind man and and it was a wonderful thing and and it was a miracle and and he kind of slipped away in the crowd and then the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law they came up to the blind man and they said, This guy healed you on the Sabbath, he's a sinner. What do you mean you got your sight back? The guy says, I don't know. And they say, you know, this happened in John chapter nine. And um they went to the man's parents. And they said, is this your son? Yes, sir. Well, he was born by... Yes, sir. Well, he can see. How did that happen? Why don't you ask him? So then they go to the son, adult person, and they say, the son, uh, you can see? Yes. Did he heal you? Yes. Well, he couldn't have healed you because today's the Sabbath, and you know you don't do any work on the Sabbath, so he did something on Sabbath. It's wrong. The man said, okay. He said... Now, this man that did this must have been a sinner, right? The man was not a theologian, okay? Just like a lot of us. You know, all right, I got a seminary degree, but theology makes my head hurt, all right? I'm, I'm just not really good at all those. I can't even remember the words anymore. The man's like, I don't know. I do know. I was blind. Now I see. Show and tell. I was blind, now I see. Show and tell. See, God doesn't need any more people to argue theology in Southern Baptist circles. Do you know this is the golden age of Southern Baptist theological education? We got more people graduating from more schools and more Bible colleges than we've ever had in the entire history of the Southern Baptist denomination. And our number of baptisms is declining. And the number of churches that are closing every year is increasing. And uh, we, are, we were reminded again this morning, our church membership is a 
denomination has dropped 200,000 people in one year. And we've got more theology graduates than we've ever had. So those two things don't kind of balance to me. I think we probably need a little bit, forgive me, a little bit less theology and a little bit more show and tell. We need a little bit more of us in the marketplace every day, in the grocery store, saying, you know, I was blind, but now I see. <laughs> show and tell, yeah, okay. So this is God's life in us. It's God's life in us. It is not a theological discussion. It is a life truth that we can share with other people. You know what? I was blind. I can see. So, God's life in us. Maybe. Maybe. What we do could be the show and what we say could be the tell. God's light shines to us, shines in us, shines through us. It's with us, it's in front of us, it's behind us, it's on either side. It's doing its work and if your life is like mine, sometimes it's doing in spite of me. Okay. God's power works in us. We'll just walk down the path. The good works are there waiting to happen. God's life in us and through us is simply show and tell. We show it with what we do. We tell it when somebody asks us. One of my favorite witnessing verses is First um, Peter 3.15. It says, you know, reverence Jesus as Lord in your heart. Honor Jesus as Lord in your heart. Value Jesus as Lord in your heart. And always be ready to explain to somebody when they ask you the reason for your hope. I was like, that sounds like show and tell. They see the hope and they think, why you got all this hope? Oh no, must be the treasure. Oh yeah, that's right, I was blind and now I see. Kind of made me hopeful. God's light shines on us, out of us. God's power moves through us. God's life makes us His holy show and tell. When we lived in Africa, those pots were on the side of the driveway. They kept the heat from coming in the house. Nobody ever complimented the pots. They always loved the plants. Our lives are for the gospel. It's not about us. It's not about people complimenting us. It's about God blessing us to be His show and tell. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. And we know you want to teach us how to love you more. Father God, we need you. 
And we're thankful that you're teaching us each day that you've got a supply for every need in our lives. Father God, we long to be the people that can be your powerful show and tell in this community. That we'd know you and we'd be so full of you that your glory would leak out of us by accident. Just as much as if we ever tried to do on purpose. And that your light would just shine out of us. That we would be some kind of a heavenly show and tell. And that people would just have to ask us, what's the reason for your hope? And we'd be able to share you with them with humility and gentleness. God, we trust you to keep changing us as you are inside of us. To keep helping us to know and to show your glory through Christ Jesus. Amen.